0: Uh, The theme for the evening talk is the nature of wanting. I heard that uh, yesterday evening uh, Shada um, giving her talk Spoke about, of course, different aspects of uh, the spiritual life and also uh, referred to a very common thing of the one of the, the difficulties that people experience in terms of uh, uh, public speaking. And rather coincidentally, um, in the uh, morning newspaper de- today, in the staff uh, dining room, I'm not sure if i kept the piece of paper, Um, in the staff dining room there was a small item which said that that the biggest fear for people is uh, public speaking and that some people would rather, if they were at a funeral, um, be in the coffin (laughs) then then actually have to give the eulogy <laughs> <laughs> and I can tell you more about this experience <laughs> 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 and um I under, I, under, I understand also that um in uh, speak speaking about this and uh, other uh Themes. She referred to uh, an experience which she had had some years ago in giving a public talk where she found herself uh, holding her breath for, uh, for 30 seconds. And all of that is a very common thing of, uh, that can take place in such a situation uh, um, as this. And anyway, I, I heard at the end of this talk she got quite an encore. (laughs) And if I may uh, say, having um, been speaking here and elsewhere for... (laughs) You've got that recorded, did you?
1: <laughs> Good.
0: This will be amongst the recommended uh, this talks.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, wonderful. <laughs> well, once I was giving a talk and I, my my, my breath stopped as well and. I I passed out and... (laughs) and after 30 seconds, I remembered my, in in this state of passing out, I remembered my past lives. (laughs) And and before I was also CT, I was the brother of ET. We we were born in Jurassic Park. (laughs)
1: Our
0: mother is Elizabeth Taylor. (laughs) Jurassic Park has now, since time has gone by, has now been renamed the Bay Area. (laughs) Anyway, this is far removed from the wanting mind. <laughs> Sometimes in looking at our relationship to life and the movement and expression of our inner life to the outer world in uh, which we live, there has been this remarkable encouragement and endorsement. And I think we, uh, are culture, generation have been particularly targeted in this way to want more, to want more from life, to pursue things in life and to gather them unto oneself, or unto oneself and one's loved ones, one's immediate uh, family, if not friends. And this tremendously powerful message goes out to us through countless forms and in very sophisticated ways to us morning, uh, noon and night. And it's not only just in the material form, of course, which is the most obvi- um, self-evident expression of that, but also in forms of knowledge as well, and that we often have a sense of being extremely lacking in what we know and we have generated uh, through these large uh, institutions which have the express purpose essentially of satisfying the thirst for more knowledge. And yet, if we take the intellectual uh, (coughs) uh, materialism we might call it, that, that pursuit of all of that, no matter how much we have actually gathered unto ourselves, the amount of knowledge which is available will always be infinitely more than what we actually can absorb and consume in our mind. We've also been told to pursue more in, feel- in the fields of wanting, also with regard to our feeling and our emotional life, and a message which goes out to us again and again that who and what we are as people uh, upon this earth, as individuals on this earth, isn't and can't be fulfilling. And so the message, again, through the endless numbers of stories, through the uh, wide range of uh, communications that take place in the entertainment industry, and all that goes with it, is a message to us that to reach out, to look for more satisfaction in the emotional world, generally speaking, through others or environments, the tourist industry I'm thinking of here, will somehow bring to us that which we yearn and crave for. So, again, the same kind of message, one also has to say, goes out in the field of uh, religion, in spirituality, of that being affected, as sensitive and as rather vulnerable creatures that we are to impressions and to influences, to reach out, to pursue more. And sometimes we have embarked on particular journeys in our life, decisions we might call them, which in a way has as its express purpose a way of trying to fill inside of ourselves. Something which is missing, which feels to be lacking in some way or other and we imagine through one or more vehicles that whole, that which is missing, can be fulfilled and can be made complete. Whether it's emotional, whether it's intellectual, whether it's spiritual, uh, religious, uh, whether it's through the purchase of more um, money, possessions, uh, prestige, etc., etc. So there's this tremendous pull. Human beings, often in the so-called name of choice, not really expressing choice, as I have a severe doubt about the, the notion of choice. Um, perhaps sometimes just expressing the strong pull on oneself. And to give a very small uh, illustration. Uh, Recently, I uh, was speaking with a a friend of my uh, daughter's and a young person, 15 uh, years of age and we were talking about the field of education and in this uh, hall here there are a number of educators and in this she said to me that she has made the um, uh, decision that it's her (coughs) choice to gain as many grades as possible, it's the only way to get on uh, in life and that if one is going to earn a good salary and uh, really make something of one's life one has to have uh, good grades, good qualifications, go to the best school in order for that <coughs> to take place. A very <coughs> normal kind of view that many teenagers, adults will uh, share. and. As a result of that uh, uh, view and uh, decision, the person had um, decided not to do uh, other things in life. One aspect of this, I don't want to go too much on this, but one aspect of this is I do feel that this inordinate degree of pressure upon mind, in this case young minds, is um, utterly uh, unsatisfactory. I do think the play of life, Uh, is being deprived from many, many young children and adults in the view that is being rammed down um, into their heart and soul, day in and day out, about qualifications, grades and getting on in the world. And one of the things that one is noticing with that, I'm just speaking in a very general way here for um, a moment or two, Uh, in this pursuit of wanting something and all that goes with it. One of the things which I have been noticing is a a slight trend and I just wonder where this might lead is that sometimes it's the old days when we used to think of the young being the radicals and the young people having uh, uh, the idealism and the the vision. I think there's a subtle, maybe a larger change which is uh, taking place what I have been noticing and more and more that people who are in the latter period of their life yet still take an active interest in spiritual, social, political, economic affairs that there's more freedom to think clearly, there's more freedom to look at life in a different way because that person or persons has, as it were, realised in terms of their own personal status in life, they can't go any further. They're not going to have another great job, they're not going to have any more uh, prestigious position, and they've got nothing really to aim for in that self-interested kind of way and the desire force that goes with it. And what it's doing, it's allowing uh, a little bit more atmosphere and air of freedom. And I notice a number of people, to take a small example of this, who have been in office, sometimes quite uh, high office, were absolutely useless in office. Why? Because of the strong desire to maintain the position, the wanting to keep the position. Sometimes, in coming out of office, whatever that might be, start showing a little bit more wisdom, start showing a little bit more compassion, which they never had. In a time because the desire force to keep was so strong that that mattered above all else. that has gone. And in, our, in Britain as a small example of what I mean, recently, uh, on behalf of the Buddhist peace fellowship, was at a meeting in the House of Lords in uh, Britain. It's, as you know, it's our undemocratic, unelected uh, upper chamber <laughs> and uh, and it's a, you know, it's a, it's a kind of uh, fossilisation of something which was pre Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, what I notice in actually, b- actually being uh, there uh, in that uh, situation, that there seemed to me, compared with the other chamber, the House of Commons, House of Parliament, more in this case, intellectual freedom being expressed, more looking into things. We had a meeting with. Um, some representatives from the Sri Lankan government with um, um, Tamil uh, uh, leaders, Amnesty International, myself, BPF, and uh, one or two uh, others, looking at things together in a a different kind of way for trying to resolve this ongoing tragedy on this island. And uh, as I say, so sometimes in our looking at ourselves, the wanting mind in its terms, in this case, knowledge and prestige and holding on to a position with all the fear and uncertainty which can go with it can in very real and practical terms genuinely inhibit a human being's opportunity to look at a situation freely, to look at it freely, to look at it without that shadow, shall we call it, of uh, the personal vested interest in what I have done and what I have achieved to get to this position. And it's not easy for a human being, whatever position one may have arrived and have come to, and that position of course is related and does rely upon the cooperation and the support of other people. It can't be a position without support of other people to acknowledge that position. Can we, in spite of the actualities of the dependent arising, realise and appreciate a freedom in that position? And therefore we don't keep curtailing our vision, our sense of what's necessary, our passion for things, simply because the primary objective becomes pres- preservation of the position and therefore, the pleasure of popularity, of being accepted, and therefore, with it, in there, will be fear. Can we have a free life, no matter what position, we might have achieved in life? Sometimes, and I I think it's very important here, that we look at ourselves very uh, carefully, and for the many people in a situation who do have spheres of influence in your life and my life. We look at ourselves, and one of the strong pressures that go with this for the wanting, sometimes craving, demanding, pursuing mind, we, we cloak the crudity of it in another kind of language. And I do think it's important in our life to look at the way, as a number of plenty of you do here, look at the way we use the language. And one of the ways we 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 cloak the desire, crudity of pursuing something for oneself is in the language of achievement. And the concept achievement, it sounds so much nicer than blind desire to get what I want from life. <laughs> And this build-up of achievement and the direction that the achievement takes, sometimes it, we, in the motivation and intention that goes with it, again we use the language of choice that goes with, I choose to go into this field or I choose to go uh, into that. But sometimes it's just the way the circumstances have arisen that pushes us in a particular direction which we call uh, achievement. And, and sometimes, and we were discussing this a little bit this afternoon in another uh, way, we look at other people. We don't really see other people quite often. What we see is what we imagine he or she or they have achieved. And we see it in those terms. And when we look at a person in terms of what they seem to have achieved, we tend to compare with ourselves in some way or other. But what that does is it doesn't take any account or very little account for the totality of the situations which allow it to have occurred. We just see the result. So sometimes we are very impressed with certain people who seem or appear to achieve things. And we say, God, what that person has done with his life or with her life. And we really are impressed by that. But what we're perhaps blind to in our preoccupation with the achievement is the countless numbers of circumstances which have occurred, which have em- enabled that to happen. And how many of those circumstances are really due or because of the person. How many? Even those people who like to think they have achieved something in the more um, honest and truthful moments can't really say, I have achieved anything, it's just how things have occurred. And it needs an enormous number of factors which one is born with. Born with for something to take place. Yet somehow we neglect all of this and we just see the image of the effect of, and we put it into achievement, we compare ourselves with the achievers. And I think we need, within ourselves and with others, to look at this whole notion of achievement in our life and be um, unusually compassionate to overachievers. <laughs> because this over people who over uh, overachieve um, in life and who we accelerate, and we must look at ourselves our, with regard to others, we provide a very active disservice for other human beings. And any claims, indirectly or directly, of what we have achieved, it reinforces. Feelings for others of underachievers, and I think a little bit more happiness with underachievement in life would be a would be a significant social revolution. <laughs> that we should begin campaigning for underachievement.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and part of the 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 the, the reason. And I think, as that uh, wise and wonderful man who didn't live so far from here, Thoreau, once commented, he said, if we, I can't remember the precise uh, f- uh, phrasing from um, uh, his uh, essays, but he once commented, he said, if we really understand life, then our relationship to life is that we're treated to regard it as what one long, relaxing weekend. <laughs> Now, how many of you would be bold enough to stand up and say, my life is one long, relaxing (laughs) weekend? (laughs) So somewhere or another, in all the pressures and the manipulations and the coordinations and the packaging of our mind to fit in with things, what the teachings have said, I think very, very valuable, that all the, shall we call it, the psycho psycho psychosocial dynamic of all of that, if we're going to pay attention to much of that in, in as careful a way, one of the factors which, as it were, part of the glue, only part, but part of the glue which holds it together is the wanting. The wanting is the feature. So the Buddha says there is suffering, feature of suffering is the wanting of uh, mind and the cessation. So Ninwand asks, but since this wanting goes on, firstly, there is the implication that if I want something something is absent something is missing I want something it's missing it's not here and that propels us and how come that in all the pursuit of the wanting to fill what's missing remember knowledge emotional contact physical uh, experience, uh, spiritual uh, events, or whatever way. How come that there is the movement of the wanting, something is missing, I actually fill that hole, that something missing, for a period of time, and it's in a period of time, no matter how I describe it, and that which I've put in to fill that which is missing seems to dissolve after a period of time, only to be replaced with a wanting, either in an identical form, or in another form, and it comes out again, and I'm caught in the hoop of it. Missing, wanting, getting, possibly some satisfaction, filling the hole, feeling better for a while, and missing, and it's starting again. How many times is it that couples, partners, living together, and one partner looks at herself, looks at himself, and says, I'm in a relationship, I'm living with this person, and yet I don't feel this other person is nourishing me, yet I still feel something is missing in my life, and it still goes on whether one is in in emotional terms, in or out of a relationship, one thing seems to occur. Where is the end to it? Why is it that the world seems to lack, the world of people and environments and situations, seems to lack the capacity to satisfy that whole on any genuine terms for any genuine length of time? How is it that is the facts of existence? And yet, as I mentioned earlier, the messages which per- go out, the way that it feeds to us, is a, a constant deception to us. I looked at a magazine today, uh, Jose and I were in the uh, uh, staff dining room. I think it's the current issue of uh, uh, Yoga Journal and there is um, an interview or a chapter from a doctor's book and the main headline on that uh, page of the cover of the journal says, um, Ageless Body, Timeless Mind. (laughs) Who the hell does he think he's deceiving? Ageless Body, Timeless Mind? And that kind of idea, that outrageous deception, gets thrown out to us even through publications which we enjoy to, to read. Please don't give this tape to Stephen Bodley and he, <laughs> he won't be very happy. He's the editor of it and comes on retreats sometimes. <laughs> 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 I a few years ago, I was talking on a, on a some slight side uh, here. I was speaking on a theme about uh, pursuit, wanting, 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 and I made a uh, a comment, a one-liner during uh, the talk that, um, and I said something like, um, uh, sometimes there is this pursuit and wanting to show one's success in the world and that can take the form of um, um, uh, Cadillacs and Porsches, and then I said, and other symbols of inner poverty.
1: (laughs) At at
0: the end of the talk, someone came up to me and said, uh, Christopher, um, there's a Cadillac and a Porsche in the car park. (laughs) (laughs) So there are two people on on the retreat. Um, with those cars, he said, "I think your donations at the end of the retreat just went down by half."
1: <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> so, <laughs> so,
0: sometimes in this m- movement that they take place in the inner to the outer, there is some s- kind of gap. The gap gets manifested and ex- uh, ex- uh, expressed, and we try to fill it. How much of the experiences of the days here, in some way, is some wish or some endeavor to, to do that? In the relationship to all, all of that, we look at our experiences, our way of being in this world, and then we say, but what's the alternative? what's the alternative to all of this you know, it, you know the teachings say the cessation of wanting the end of wanting but one says to oneself when one looks at that in its kind of in a very simple way well if i stop wanting if there is nothing which i want nothing which i work for nothing which i go after in life then what, what happens to me do i become a kind of uh, uh, vegetable do I end up even worse stuck in this place for the rest of my life <laughs> sitting cross-legged or what, what, whatever what will happen if, if the wanting stops so sometimes in our relationship to wanting it seems like yes I'm caught up in this I move through this I live this way I see countless others are on the same treadmill and if I <coughs> question it for a moment, my mind can't imagine an alternative. And yet I get bombarded with deceptions. The body ages. That's the fact of bodily life. Nobody can avoid the fact. It's no use as it has has been done in uh, middle-class England where there are groups who are are being established and have been getting some publicity because they say they are putting out the message we are immortal, that nobody has to die and then when one of their numbers dies on them that they say the reason that that person died is because they didn't believe strongly enough <laughs> in their own immortality. I mean, talk about covering one's tracks. <laughs> how, how can you argue your way around with, with that one? Similarly, we, we <laughs> same thing in, in this wish for the, which is beyond common sense, beyond all... Uh, uh, normal experiences of life of a, a timeless mind, and the idea com, comes out when one looks at one's mind, the ideas, the feelings, the thoughts, the moods, the activities of the mind. What is it concerned with? Concerned with the past, it's concerned with the present, it's concerned with the future, and when it isn't concerned that it's completely spaced out and one doesn't know whether one's on this side of the moon or the other with it. So again, we look at it and then we try to hope or wish fanciful thinking in the name of spirituality, that is the tragedy, to impose these ideologies. The truth of things is life is ageing, time is ageing, bodily is ageing, mind is involved in things of time. And it wants things of time to fill this hole. Where is the end of all of this? Is this it? Because if it is it, if that is the bare-boned character, the truth, the nature of things, is it any wonder that death is so formidable? It's formidable for the person who lives in a state of wanting more, wanting more, wanting more because the activity of, of death is seen to cut that opportunity off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so when we say, I don't want to die, in another way we're saying, really, I just want to go on wanting. I just want more and I don't want anything to disturb that, and death is there, wandering around, tapping various people every day of the week on the shoulder and says, your turn, out. <laughs> <laughs> when my sister, <laughs> Sharda knows this, when my sister had a, a I was in Budgai, it's years ago, this is the mid-1970s, when my sister had a, a baby, her third uh, child. I sent the baby a telegram with two words on it. It said, Welcome back. My, 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 <laughs> <laughs> my, my sister didn't appreciate it one bit. <laughs> So as I say, there is the movement of the wanting. In that movement of the wanting there is uh, the gap. With the gap comes the fear. One of the fears of life is of course the the cessation of that. When we look at that movement for wanting, for the wanting which is of more, is that something so bad? Is it something so bad? And sometimes in these kind of circles we take a a kind of strict, uh, almost a moralistic position about it. And again, with that, with the whole tradition of renunciation and letting go and doing without, that it's not unusual for people then to begin to impose a kind of morality upon themselves about the movement for wanting more in that harsh and judgmental way and become rather accusatory of others who seem to spend their life wanting more. And I just wonder, in our relationship to that, whether the moralism and the judging and the the arrogance that goes along with it in a way is blind therein to some other understanding. And perhaps in that understanding that the wanting more is appropriate, And then it's natural, that it's normal. It's no coincidence, is it, that numerous cultures, even those which have been reasonably self-supporting for centuries, have seemed to have given up that self-supporting culture and have often opted wholeheartedly for a culture like ours which says, you can have more, go for it, this is how you do it. And we see this in all parts of what we call the South or the developing nations or the third world, etc, etc. And I say, to be watchful of the judging, is it that the the wanting for more is easy, it's natural, it's part of life, but it's a misplaced direction. It's not the actuality of the wanting for something more, something big, but it's the way that it's being conceived of and we have thought of it in exclusively emotional, intellectual, and acquisitive terms. Can we nourish that interest, nourish that uh, kind of focus, and yet it not be what I would call mm, directed or misplaced in that particular way? If one is going to go for something more, then I say, let's go for jackpot not be satisfied with the tangible, changeable things of life for one reason, among many, one reason, because we cannot take any of it with us. We don't even know if we're going to go anywhere, let alone what we have accumulated. And surely the, the, the death itself can be a wonderful and invaluable reminder of that no matter what we accumulate and what we get and what we have, Not one bit of it will go with us. Surely that should sober anybody up, that awareness. So the tradition has wisely said, contemplate on death, regard it as a friend, regard it as a a supporter for an inquiry into life and don't sacrifice your interest for that which is truly big that which in fact is immense so immense it embraces death because it's bigger than death and you say well what does that mean what does that mean in one's life as a, as a, as a human being and sometimes we have we come hopefully to enough wisdom in life and enough awareness in life that in our uh, outpouring of our existence and there's no such thing really as a, a private existence as, or a private world or a, a personal life the whole life is out there and can't be uh, otherwise it's out there with other people, it's out there in the circumstances, it's out there in the in the nature we are out there in it and so when we begin kind of forgetting our ideas and ideologies around a private world and a, a personal existence and just see our life is as much there as the trees and the flowers and the sky and the and the earth I think that the, the intimations of all of that then we can begin to give a sense of something which I can't have, yet is vital. I can't own, yet is a necessity. And sometimes that may just take the very ordinary things of life. So sometimes on a summer's evening as we're uh, having here and we go outside and we see the play of the sunset, we see the trees, the quietitude, uh, of the nature the extent the vastness of things and we know that no amount of wanting in life can give that to us yet it says something to us it communicates itself in a particular kind of way there are many things in life which which touch us and we w- and we uh, respond in a natural and grateful and appreciative way. You have spoken, a number of you, in the small group situation or in the inquiry times and you've listened to uh, sometimes the pain, uh, the anguish or the struggle of others to, to speak, the struggle of some people to come into a room with other people and sit together even if that person doesn't say anything at all. And just to be present in that situation, and one feels touched by it, touched by the honesty of human beings, touched by the loving support of human beings, touched by the, all the considerations which are, which are going on in that, as, as gifts, as genuine acts of caring. And one has looked at oneself in the midst of all of that, and one has said to oneself, I can't own this, I can't control this, I can't make this happen, I can't even keep this, I can't preserve it or anything, It's just it just takes place. And there's an appreciation of something delightful taking place and no amount of wanting and wanting and wondering can give it to me. And sometimes we have seen with our connections with life that the very act of wanting, the very forcefulness of the drive for what we want becomes the biggest deterrent. It turns people off, it turns them away, it makes them withdraw, they feel submissive, they feel frightened, feel alienated from the power um, of some people's wanting. And you see, how is an extraordinary thing that I live in this world as a as a human being, I express my life, I make contact, I experience things, I participate, I have to live in the world of conventions, of money and work and study and communication and relationship. And yet what is it that all of that can take place in such a way that it's fulfilled already? It's fulfilled already. The life is fulfilled already. And it's not so much a question that I have to stop my wanting, I have to dry up my thirst for this and that. It's not so much a question I have to fill this hole inside of me through acquiring this, that and the other. And therefore there's got to be some act of renunciation or severing or something or learning to do without or whatever. No, no, but deep things of life, don't ask that of us. Don't ask us to be renunciates and have to give up and and go through all those austerities. The life is fulfilled already. It's complete unto itself already. Our wanting cannot add a drop to this. And the sky, and the earth, and the trees, and the flowers, and the small group uh, meetings, and the moments of silence in the meditation hall, all somehow in their own rather sweet way, uh, poignant way, tell us of something. And therefore the wanting and something missing is a little bit of a contrived social fiction. Things are complete unto themselves. Things emerge in the, and flower in the nature of things and we can't add a drop to it and we can't take a drop away from it. And we just lose believing, we, that, essentially we lose believing that there is something missing in my life and therefore I've got to get something to replace it. it, just, it the belief finishes. because one has sensed something about the immensity of what we call here and now. What we call the nature of things. And then the activity comes out of the immensity. Being with others, participating in the world comes from that immensity. And one just c- doesn't feel, doesn't think, doesn't imagine, doesn't believe that there is anything missing in my life which I have to compensate for on a short term basis. So the expression is out of the immensity and that expression is the immensity expressing itself. And so the tradition has said because we sometimes in a way, can't find words for this, it is sometimes, and as I do too, has used the word emptiness. Emptiness. It's emptiness, not in any negative way at all, but it's this emptiness which profoundly and beautifully makes all things possible. That is why spiritual teachings pay such acknowledgement to emptiness, love, emptiness because it's the emptiness which makes everything possible <coughs> and to realize that, to acknowledge that, to see that, to, to understand, understand that and understand it so well that the actions and the way of being in the world of body, speech and mind come from that emptiness, come from that immensity. as they do, couldn't be otherwise. No matter what one thinks. No matter the way that one interprets. May all beings touch with life. May all beings explore the nature of things. May all beings acknowledge immensity. have a couple of quiet minutes, please.
1: (laughs)